you, Pastor Nancy and Pastor Gary, for having me back. I always say that's a good thing when they ask you back, right? <laughs> and I do love the Word of God, I will say that. And uh, I'm just excited with what God has given me to share with you folks tonight. And let's open with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do praise you and magnify you. As we said in all the wonderful songs we sang tonight, you are our hope, you are our anchor, you are our life. In you we live and move and have our being. There is no one like you. And we're so thankful, Father, that we can be called your children. We thank you for the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'll come and put your words in my mouth. Help me to bring the truth of the Word of God out tonight. And I pray that you'll bless everyone here, everyone on live stream, online, who's going to hear this message. I pray that it will find a place in every heart and life and bear much fruit. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Praise amen. the Lord. Hallelujah. Get my notes out here. I still don't have any electronics with me. It's all paper and Bibles. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Well, I was noticed, well, quite often when Pastor Paul speaks, he, um, he has his bedrock truths, right? Your bedrock truths. I think I almost know them. And uh, uh, Pastor Gary, he has his linchpin for life scripture. And do you ever ask yourself sometimes, what are my bedrock truths? What are my bedrock scriptures? I think the problem is I have so many of them, I can't narrow them down to like four or whatever. But, you know, you keep reading and you, oh, that's good. And then you read something else and that's good, you know. But there's one tonight I, I want to start with. And I was con uh, inspired to speak on this um, topic because just simply reading through the Bible every year, as we do, you come across things. You read them last year, but this year it's speaking to you in a new way. So there was something in the Gospel of Mark that really spoke to me. And it reminded me of one of my new favorite scriptures that Pastor Gary, we always used to hear it from you, but we don't hear it from you that much anymore. I don't know why, but maybe. But when we would take up the offering, you know this one? Yeah. Well, that's the one. <laughs> so I'm going to get you to turn to Genesis 8.22. <laughs> and most of what I'm going to be reading out of the Bible tonight is New King James. So if that helps anybody back there, it's New King James. So this is a, a well-known scripture, but I love it. I love it. It's, it's so foundational. And it really took me uh, quite a while to figure that out, but let's read it here. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, winter and summer, and day and night shall not cease. Something I noticed today when I was reading it, this is the New King James. It says cold and heat, winter and summer, but I bet in your Bible it says summer and winter. I don't know why it's different in here, but I just noticed that today. But I'm not going to talk about cold and winter today. <laughs> the part I want to talk about is seed time and harvest. Seed time and harvest. It is uh, 
a foundational truth in life. It's not just in the Bible, it's everywhere. Everything we say and do is, is like a seed, or we're watering the seed with our words and our actions. There's another key scripture that I like over there in Genesis 9, and it is verse 7. And it says, As for you, be fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply in it. So that is still in effect today. And one of the ways that we accomplish that multiplication and abundance is through seed time and harvest. Amen. I noticed earlier in the week, um, one of the uh, devotionals that Pastor Paul sends out, Jerry Savelle was talking about this on Monday. Just going to read a little bit of what he said. He said, this is a key the Lord shared with me about positioning ourselves for walking in the fullness of the blessing. Look for every opportunity that you can to sow towards it. You can't have a harvest without sowing. Harvests just don't happen. They're the result of sowing. And if you want manifestations of the fullness of the blessing in your life, then you sow towards that. The entire earth revolves around this principle. Genesis 8.22 says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. The whole earth revolves around the principle of sowing and reaping. The world causes, calls it cause and effect. For every action, there is a reaction. Yeah. Now, the, the word in Hebrew for seed time is zara, Z-A-R-A which means sow, yielding, seed, set, conceive. So I, I went through, I guess with Strong's, and I was just looking where that word appeared in the Old Testament. And I'm just going, I don't have uh, tons of scriptures here. I'm not going to overwhelm you, but I found a few. And it's interesting, you know, I was talking to a friend of mine this week, and she might be watching me out there on live stream, but I told her I was going to be talking about sowing and reaping. And she was just getting out of the car, and so she was leaving, and she said, oh, I'm looking forward to hear what you have to say about finances. And I thought, well, I'm not just talking about finances. <laughs> Sowing and reaping is everything. It's just everything. And these verses will show us that. So uh, the first one I'm going to look at is found in Job 4, verse 8. You don't have to look all of these ones up, but there are going to be certain ones I, I want you to look up, but you can if you like. Even as I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. So you can sow good seed or bad seed. Here, it's, they're talking about sowing iniquity and trouble, and it says you will reap the same. So that's a very sobering thought. <laughs> oh, Proverbs eleven eighteen. The wicked man does deceptive work, but he who sows righteousness will have a sure reward. Now, righteousness is, it's a Bible word. We use it a lot here, but people don't use it in their everyday lives these days. But it just means justice or doing right. So if you do what is right, you will have a sure reward. And it's a sure reward. You can count on it. There will be a reward. 
Proverbs 22.8, he who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. So iniquity, a type of sin, will cause sorrow. Now the next verse I'm going to read, it doesn't have that word so in it, but it's, it's a good one. We all know it. We hear it all the time. Proverbs 18.21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Now there's a foundational truth for you right there. Um, so our words are like seeds. You know, in the parable of the sower, the seed is the word of God, and our words are seeds. So we get to choose what we want from those seeds. Are we going to speak death, or are we going to speak life? Hosea 8, 7, it says, They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. So I, I see this as trouble. When you sow in, in this verse, in the context, the children of Israel are sowing trouble. They're not following the Lord, and they're going to reap the whirlwind. Sounds like double trouble to me. <laughs> but in Hosea 10, 12, it's, he says, sow for yourselves righteousness and reap in mercy. You can see you can go either way. There's a warning there for us. Now I'm going to jump over into the New Testament now and see what it has to say about sowing and reaping. So the first scripture I'm going to use, it's one of those ones we hear a lot, and uh, even though we hear it all the time, I'm going to read it again. It says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. And he says, do not be deceived. Sometimes we think we can do and say things and there are no consequences, but he, he's saying, do not be deceived. I think, you know, maybe we're more aware of that, this because we're taught this, but so many people aren't. They don't realize that what they say and do has consequences. And, and you think you can just do any old thing and it's okay. Then, and then people wonder, why are bad things happening to me, you know? And uh, yeah, because there, there is a harvest to the things that we do and say. And then it goes on to say that, For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And flesh, again, that uh, just means carnal. I think of it as selfishness. You're just sowing to yourself. And sowing to the Spirit is sowing to the things of God, which produces everlasting life. Now, I'm going to tell on myself this week, I, I, I sowed to the flesh, okay? <laughs> I know you fellas didn't, but, but it was, it really, you know, when you're preparing a message like this and then you, you know, you do something stupid, you know, but I was at the grocery store. Well, it was a little, a little grocery store with my bananas waiting in line to be served. And there was a fella ahead of me and he had a bag of groceries and he was take, it was taking a long time. And I thought, what is going on in the lineup? You know, it's getting longer and longer. Right? And it turned out like he was trying his cards and nothing was working. So I don't know what the problem was. So he put his groceries aside and left. And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, you should pay for his groceries. 
And you know, it's not the money. It really wasn't the money, but I was embarrassed. I thought, I'm going to embarrass him. I'm going to embarrass myself and all those people in line. And afterwards, when I left, I felt awful. And I went out in the parking lot and I was trying to find him, but it was gone. And I was talking to the Lord about it. And I said, Lord, why did I do that stupid thing? You know, and he, and he asked me, yeah, why did you do it? Why do you think you were embarrassed? And I said, well, because of pride. And he said, yeah, it's pride. So I had to, to repent, you know, and fortunately we do, we get to repent and ask for forgiveness and that can cut off some of the bad reaping that might come. But still there was a missed opportunity there, an opportunity maybe to bless him, to bless some other people too, you know, I would have felt a whole lot better about it. But those are the, the things that happen to us every day. We get to make decisions. Are we going to sow to the flesh, or are we going to sow to the spirit? And sometimes we miss it, but we can repent and we can get it right the next time. <laughs> and then he says, and let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't lose heart. And that's good because when it comes to seed time and harvest, there's usually a time span between sowing the seed and the harvest. And that's where you can get weary. Some seeds take longer than others. <laughs> and so he says, while you're in that time span, keep doing good. Don't get discouraged. And then he says, therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we need to recognize opportunities to do good, to sow good seed. I think Jerry Savelle had uh, had something to say about that in another one of his uh, of his today's today's devotions. He talked about, or maybe it was the first one. Yeah, he says, "Look for the opportunities. Look for every opportunity that you can to sow towards it." So there are opportunities. We need to be aware of them. And when we get up in the morning, we should ask the Lord to show us because it's easy to miss them sometimes. Another scripture in the New Testament, it's very short. It's one of the Beatitudes. It says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Just that simple. Give mercy, receive mercy. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 to 10. This is one we use when we take up offerings. But I, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So when we read this, it doesn't mean that if you don't have very much to give, that you're at a disadvantage. It depends on the person and what they have. A little bit can be very generous to some people. So it's really that attitude in our sowing and what we're willing to give based on what we have. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of a necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is so important, you know, that we have the right attitude when we give, however it may be. <laughs> because 1 Corinthians 13 says, if we don't do any of these things in love, it profits us nothing. So we got to remember that we do these things with the right attitude. And then it says, God is able to make all grace abound towards you, 
that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. That word abundance, God wants to get abundance to us. Verse 10, I'm just going to skip down to that one now. May he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown and increase the fruits of your righteousness. So God does supply us with seed, and he supplies us with bread for food. He gives us both. He doesn't just give us enough to get by. And you may feel like you don't have any seed to sow. It may look at, like it at times. But if you don't, ask, for, ask God for some seed, you know? And sometimes seed is what you do for somebody else. It's what you say. You're, if you use your gifts, your talents, your time, your energy, that is the seed. God will use that. James 3.18 says, Now the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Now I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation because it's a little easier to understand. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. That sounds better, doesn't it? So be a peacemaker. Now, I want to look at, this is something you can look up if you're looking things up. Matthew 25, starting at verse 14. This is a parable of Jesus. We call it, I think, the parable of the talents. And, and I looked up the word talent, and it's uh, by tan, talenton, I think is how they say it in the gr Greek. It says, that which is weighed, a scale of balance. And just based on the context of this, I say it's some kind of currency that they used in their time. So it says, for the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. Then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them. So when it says he traded with them, that's kind of like sowing. He did something with them. And he made another five talents, so he, he had increase. And likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug it into the ground and hid his Lord's money. And after a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I've gained five more talents beside them. His Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. And just to save time, he said the same thing to the fellow with the, the two talents who gained two more. So because they sowed or used their talents, they gained twice as much. But in addition to that, their master, their Lord, gave them words of commendation. He, he complimented them on what they had done. And he promoted them. He made them rulers over more. And then he said, enter into the joy of your Lord. I mean, that, there was joy 
joy in knowing that they had pleased their Lord. Then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown, gathering where you have not scattered seed. And that may not be true, but that's what he thought. And I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers, and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is, this is another powerful scripture. When you have something and you use it, you're going to get more. You know, if you've got a, a gift for songwriting and you, you try to write a song, maybe it's hard the first time, but you keep working at it that gift will grow and become more prolific in your life. And that's true for so many things. you got to use it. Now, I'm just going to jump over and uh, look at the scripture that actually inspired me to talk about this tonight. It's found in Mark chapter 6. And I'm going to turn there in my Bible. Mark chapter 6. So this is starting at 30, verse 30, feeding of the 5,000. This is just a little interesting tidbit, and I don't know what it means, but this is the only miracle of Jesus that appears in all the four Gospels. So, all of the gospel writers would have brought out something a little different about this incident. But I'm just looking at what Mark says here. And maybe because sometimes Mark keep, keeps things kind of simple. He moves along pretty quickly and doesn't always put a lot of detail. And maybe that's why I saw what I saw. So starting in verse 30, um, we'll just skip down. The apostles and G were sent out by Jesus to... To minister, and they've come back. They're tired, but they're excited. They're telling Jesus what happened. And so he says, Let's go to a deserted place by ourselves so you have time to rest and eat. But the multitude saw them, I'm starting in verse 33, departing, and many knew him and ran there on foot from all the cities. They arrived before them and came together to him. Oh, man, they, they're, they're hungry for the word of God. <laughs> and Jesus, when he came out, he saw a, a great crowd, and he was moved with compassion for them because they were like sheep not having a shepherd. So we began to teach them many things. They loved Jesus' teaching because he didn't teach them dead religion. He, he was teaching them reality. When the day was far spent, his disciples came to him and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away, and they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. But Jesus kind of threw them a curveball, and he said, You give them something to eat. But they're, you know, they're like us. They're th often we're thinking about natural things. And so they said to him, 
Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give them something to eat? It's sort of like saying, you know, even if we had enough money, where would we find that much bread in this deserted place? You know, come on, Jesus, like, what are you talking about? But Jesus, I think he had an inkling. He knew what he was going to do. And so he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they found out, they said, fish, five and two fish. So we knew there was a little fella there that had this lunch with him. So Jesus' solution was, first of all, to find out what they had on hand. And it wasn't much. It was really, really small. But that, that was part of the plan, you know. It was seed. He had some seed. So then he commanded them to make them all sit in groups in, on the green grass. So they sat down in ranks in hundreds and in fifty. So it's not a chaotic scene. They're, it's kind of organized. He's got people waiting. Something's going to happen. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven. So why he looked up to heaven, I, I'm not sure. But when you look up this in the Greek, it, said, it says to recover sight. And it could be that Jesus was just getting his marching orders from God. Like, he's, like God, how do you want me to handle this? What do you want me to do next? He wasn't saying... God, do something. He was just saying, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then he blessed the food. It's always good to bless your food. So he spoke life over it, and then he, he did what God was showing him to do, which was to break the loaves, give them to his disciples to set before them, and the two fish he divided among them all. So they all ate and were filled. And they took up 12 baskets fulls of fragrance, fragments and of the fish. Now those who had eaten the loaves were about 5,000 men. And we know that there were probably way more than 5,000 people there. But they all ate and they were filled. You know, God is not cheap, is he? He makes sure you've, you're full and there are leftovers. That's the way God works. But notice he started with a little tiny seed. The seed was very small. So don't ever think your seed is too small. Now, it is important that if God has a direction for you and how to use that seed, that you follow through with that. And that's what Jesus did. He got his direction from the Father, and he carried through, and we see an awesome miracle here. Now, I'm going to go back to the Old Testament now because we're going to go to 2 Kings chapter 4 and look at Elisha. There are some amazing miracles in the life of Elisha. And there's one that's very similar to the one that we just read about in the New Testament. It's on a much smaller scale, but maybe Jesus was thinking about this when he was getting ready to feed the 5,000. And it's, so it's 2 Kings 4, and reading at verse 42. Then a man came from Baal Shalisha and brought the man of God bread of the first fruits, 20 loaves of barley bread and newly ripened grain in his knapsack. And he said, give it to the people that they may eat. But a servant said, what? 
shall I set this before 100 men? So basically, it's kind of like the disciples, you know, like, you got to be kidding me. This isn't enough to feed 100 men. But I like Elisha, you know, I, there's something about Elisha. He's just very straightforward. He gets things done. He says it. He does it. There's no drama, I find, with him. He just, he just says, give it to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. So he set it before them, and they ate, and they had some left over, according to the word of the Lord. So Elisha knew he had a word from God on it, that even though this seed that this man had brought, he did his best, he brought what he could, even though it wasn't enough, Elisha heard from God, spoke the word of the Lord, his servant obeyed, and it all worked out. They had, again, enough to eat and leftovers. I like that. It was only 100, but hey, that's great. Now, there's another really awesome account here in chapter 4, starting in verse 1. This is a good one. You probably heard these before, but these are good. These are examples of sowing and reaping. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophet cried out to Elisha, saying, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So this woman is in a very bad situation. She doesn't have a husband to look after her. She does have two sons, and she's probably really depending on them to look after her. And of course, they're her sons. She loves them. She wants the best for them. But she's going to lose them to the creditor. But she knows what to do. This woman knows what to do. If it, in our day, we probably go to God. But for her, it's going to Elisha, the prophet. So she tells Elisha her problem. And so Elisha says, what shall I do for you? What am I going to do? What do you want me to do? But then he says, tell me, what do you have in the house? Sort of like Jesus saying, how, much, how many loaves have you got? He's saying, what have you got? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. So at first she was almost saying, I got nothing, nothing. And then she said, oh yeah, I've got this little jar of oil. And when I read this, I imagine this little tiny jar with a little bit of oil in it, <laughs> really small. But now he's going to give her some direction. He said, go borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors. Empty vessels do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. So she didn't question what he said. It, it seemed strange. She's only got a little tiny bit of oil, but she did it. She obeyed. And probably it wasn't an easy thing to go and knock on your neighbor's doors and ask to borrow a bunch of empty vessels. They probably had questions like, what do you want this for? When are you bringing it back? I'm going to need it, you know. Um, probably took them some time to do it because she was getting as much as she could. 
But they did it. And then they came in. He said, close the doors. So they were shutting out all distractions. The neighbors couldn't look in and see what was going on. So she took that little tiny bit of oil and started pouring it. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Now I'm sure there's a message in that, but I'm I'm not talking about that tonight. (laughs) Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go and sell the oil and pay your debt. You and your sons live on the rest. So she got further direction from the man of God, and she sold the oil. It paid her debt, and she had enough left over to live on. Isn't God amazing? She started out with such a little tiny seed, but she sowed it. She obeyed, and she got the harvest. Now, the next story, this is one of my real favorite ones, the next one. It starts in verse 8, because here we're looking at people with needs sowing. But you don't have to sow it because you've got a need. You can sow just because you want to bless somebody. And so we're going to look at this lady, see what she did. Now, it happened one day that Elisha went to Shunem, where there was a notable woman, and she persuaded him to eat some food. So it was, as often he passed by, he would turn in there to eat some food. And she said to her husband, look now, I know that this is a holy man of God who is passing by us regularly. Please let us make a small upper room on the wall. Let us put a bed for him there, and a table, and a chair, and a lampstand. So it will be, whenever he comes to us, he can turn in there. So this woman must have some money. It says that she, I think in King James, it says she's a great woman. Here it says she's a notable woman. And she asks her husband, and they they put an addition on their house for the prophet. And she did it not because she needed something. I think she did it because she recognized he was a man of God, and she wanted to give to God's man and to the work of God. It's just like if we give to the gospel, if we give to those who are preaching the gospel, it's the same idea. Now, it happened one day that Elisha came there, and he turned into the upper room and lay down there. And then he said to Gehazi, his servant, Call this Shunammite woman. When he had called her, she stood before him, and and he said to him, I guess he wanted Gehazi to say this, say now to her, look, you have been concerned for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Do you want me to speak on your behalf to the king or or to the commander of the army? And she answered, I dwell among my own people which is kind of a a strange answer, but I think she's saying, I'm good. I don't need anything. I'm happy. But I think that Elisha knew that she wanted something and she wasn't saying what it was. So he said um, to Gehazi, his servant, when she had, I assume she had left at this point, what then is to be done for her? He knew there was something but he didn't know what it was. And Gehazi answered, actually, she has no son and her husband is old. And I find it really interesting that Gehazi knew and Elisha didn't know. 
he, he noticed that she didn't have a son. Elisha, who was supposed to hear it from God, <laughs> didn't know this, but Gehazi noticed it. So he, I think he knew once Gehazi said that, he said, that's it. That's the thing. So he, he said, call her. When he had called her, she stood at the doorway. Then he said, about this time next year, you shall embrace a son. I mean, he didn't ask her. He just came out with it and told her. And she said, no, my Lord, man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Now, maybe that's not what he expected her to say. This woman, this is something I, I discern here that she wanted more than anything else. And we don't know about her background, but she might have had some miscarriages, been, spent years trying to get pregnant and couldn't get pregnant. And she didn't want any more disappointments or any more heartache. She just wanted to move on. And now it's like the thing she wants more than anything is being offered to her. And she's a little afraid. But it says the woman conceived and bore a son when the appointed time had come of which Elisha had told her. Now, I'm just going to stop here because there's more to the story. I think you know that. But she had just sowed into the man of God's life. She wasn't looking for anything. But God rewarded her with the thing she wanted more than anything else. You know, God is so good. You know, if there's something you really want, and I guess as long as it's God is in it, you can have it. And, and I'm not saying that we manipulate God by sowing. You know, she just did this out of the goodness of her heart, but God wants to bless us in ways that we've never even dreamed of or thought of. But as the story goes on to tell us, it happened one day that the, the boy, he went out to his father, to the reapers, and he said to his father, my head, my head. So he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. And when he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her knees till noon and then died. And she went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God, shut the door upon him and went out. Then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the young men and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and come back. And her husband said, why are you going to him today? It's neither the new moon nor the Sabbath. And she said, it is well. And that word well is shalom. You know, her son has just died, her miracle son. She's not wailing. She's not really saying anything about it. I don't think she even told her husband. I don't think he even knows what happened. But she, has, she knows what she has to do. <laughs> She's got to get that man of God. <laughs> so she gets on that donkey and she drives as fast as she can. And so it was, when the man of God saw her afar off, he said to his servant Gehazi, Look, the Shunammite woman, please run to meet her and say to her, Is it well with you? Is it well with your husband? Is it well with the child? And she answered, It is well. Shalom. Now when she came to the man of God at the hill, she caught him by the feet. But Gehazi came near to push her away, but the man of God said, Let her alone. Her, for her soul is in deep distress, and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. And so she says, did I ask a son of my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? 
So we, we can see that fear coming out in her. She's afraid. She was afraid to lose a child. Maybe she had lost a child before. We don't know. But God is gracious, and she was in the right place with the right person. And Elisha wanted to send Gehazi back to take care of business. But she wasn't having any of that. <laughs> the mother of the child said, as the Lord lives and as your soul lives, I will not leave you. So he arose and followed her. Now Gehazi went on ahead of them and laid the staff on the face of the child, but there was neither voice nor hearing. Therefore he went back to meet him and told him, the child has not awakened. When Elijah came into the house, there was the child lying dead on his bed. He went in, therefore, shut the door behind the two of them, prayed to the Lord, and he went up and lay on the child and put his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands, and he stretched himself out on the child, and the flesh of the child became warm. So there's an anointing in, in Elisha. <laughs> that anointing is, is coming on the child. He returned and walked back and forth in the house, maybe getting some instructions from the Lord, and he went up and stretched himself out on him, and the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite woman. So he called her. And when she came in to him, he said, Pick up your son. So she went in, fell at his feet, bowed to the ground, and then she picked up her son and went out. So she got another miracle from God, you know. And... and Really, it began with her just sowing something out of the goodness of her heart to the man of God. So there's, there's so much we can learn from this about the benefits of sowing. You know, I, I heard a testimony of a guy, and um, he, he and his wife had saved up a down payment to buy a house. And he, they were Christians, they were in a, a, a meeting somewhere, and there was a missionary there who had a vision to build an orphanage in Africa, and God said to him, I want you to give that down payment to that orphanage. And at first, when he heard that from God, he was, you know, hoping he didn't really hear what he thought he heard, you know. And it was kind of hard to just get his heart right. But he told his wife, and she said, yeah, go ahead. So they gave it. And he said, afterwards, God came to him and he said, you know, I asked a lot of other people to give that, and they didn't. And he says, I want to thank you for giving that, you know. And that really touched his heart. And he said, you know, after that, his relationship with God was different. You know, he, he had sown money, but he got a closer relationship with the Lord. And of course, he and his wife eventually got a much nicer house than they would have gotten with that small down payment they had. And he said, doors of favor opened for him after that. So there's so much that comes from sowing. You know, you're not just getting, you know, putting $10 in the offering and getting $100 back. It's, it's so much bigger than that. Yeah. You know, when we sow, and I'm sure everybody here, we've sown some good seed in our lives. And, we, and maybe you're wondering, why, why are good things happening to me? Well, that's why, because you've sown good seed, and you've put it out there. Now, when I was thinking about this message, I, I was reminded of my gardening experience the last couple of years. I'm sure most of you have 
have had gardens here. Would anybody here that hasn't had a garden at some point? <laughs> no. So, you know, when you have a garden, there are just some things that work and some things that don't work. And, and one of the things that I've learned is that you have to have good seed. It's important to have good seed. You need to have good soil. And the good seal, seed and the good soil are usually our responsibility, you know. <laughs> and then you have to plant the seed. When you got your seed, you got to plant it in the ground. And then once it's in the ground, you usually have to tend it. You just can't leave it there in the spring and come back in the fall and expect. You might, you'll probably find something, but maybe not a whole lot. <laughs> and so... So you do things like you weed it, you water, you fertilize, you prune, you thin it out, do whatever you have to do, put some stakes in the ground so your tomato plants don't fall over. And then when the time comes, because there is a time for harvest, we have to discern harvest time. And some things come to harvest earlier than others. So when you discern that it's harvest time, you need to be there to harvest your crop. And then once you've harvested it, you need to know that some of it needs to be kept for seed for next year. It's a good thing to give some of it, and then you can keep some. So gardening does take time. It takes effort. It takes some expense, some hard work, it takes patience and faithfulness. And so it is with us when we plant seeds, with our words, with our actions. It takes faithfulness. Now, I'm just, if I can find it here, this is what Jerry Savell had to say about this today. He, he began earlier in the week, I don't know if you planned it, Pastor Paul, but it kind of worked out for me, talking about sowing seed. And then today, in his message, he was talking about a faithful man shall abound with blessings. So he, he said, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. The key, the key word here is if. You know, and one thing about Jerry Savelli always talks about don't quit. That's his message. And then in, in Ecclesiastes 3.1, it says to everything there is a season. So there's a time to plant and there's a time to water, and there's a time to reap. So he says, don't be discouraged. Your harvest time will come. Our part is not to become weary and quit. So our confession is, we will not be weary in well-doing. Our, our harvest is coming in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So keep on keeping on, saints, because <laughs> there is a harvest coming, all kinds. People, people are coming, houses, vehicles, promotions, favor, children, grown ones and new ones, they're coming. So thank you for your attention. I pray that this will bless you. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Thank you.
We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.